Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, thanks for that. Didn't you like JT and Beth's story there? Wasn't that great? Yeah. 14 people liked it. That's terrific. That's, that's horrible. I'm not going to lie to you. Do you like that story or not? That was, yeah. Uh, it's just God changing lives. No big deal around here. You know, if we do so much of it, you get tired of it, or if you just don't have a heart, whatever. Hey, um, I want to start out today by helping you memorize a verse that I like a lot. I have been trying to memorize it, did a little bit last service, and hopefully together you and I can learn this verse. It, it is in Psalms chapter 33, verse 22. The words are up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read it to you, then we'll go through a little exercise of helping you learn it, and it is the foundation of all I want to talk with you about today. So here's what it says. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. All right, this time I'm going to say it. We're going to kind of do it like a wedding ceremony where I'm going to say a few words of the verse. You're going to repeat them, then I'll move on. So you ready? Here we go. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You guys did so much better than first service. Let's do it again. May your unfailing love, May your unfailing love rest, upon us, rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. All right, this time we're changing up. You guys are going to say it without me. So guys, take the words off the screen. I'm going to give you a little start. Are you ready? Here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. May your upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Our hope in you. That's good. One more time. Last time. Here we go. One, two, three. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Terrific. You guys are so much better than first service. They stunk. They did not get it whatsoever. So you definitely are at the right service today. That is a terrific verse. It is one you can live by. It's one of those that you need to hide in your, hide in your heart like the Bible talks about, because it'll come back to you at the right times. Last Sunday, when Ben was here, he talked about uh, the book of Romans and Romans chapter 8 and how there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it was a great message, and he talked about how there's no more guilt or shame because God loves us and he has forgiven our sins, and we can be free in that. And a lot of you experienced that freedom last week. We had some people make first-time decisions for Jesus, and it was just incredible. The Bible is great that way, isn't it? In fact, it's so good, I want to reread for you some of the verses he read last week from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And these are some of those verses that when you hear them, they're like, they like just get your blood pumping if you're a Jesus follower. They sound so good, you can almost chant them. They're almost like cheerleader chants. And you read them, and, and it just is exciting. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8. If you belong to Christ Jesus... You won't be punished. That's good. The Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. Isn't that a good verse? Don't you like that one if you're following Jesus? Doesn't that make you happy, feel good on the inside? No, just me. You know, you're free. You're not going to die. You are going to die, but when you do, you're going to be resurrected. That's good news, right? Anyone following Jesus in this place? Just, all right, good. That's good news. In fact, the Bible is full of stories like that and verses like that that are just so 
They're terrific. And you read them, and they make you feel good on the inside. You're so glad you're on the team of Jesus, and you're excited about the future and what's going to happen, especially in eternity, and you could not have made a better decision with your life. However, if you're like me, something happens uh, often, and it's called life. There are bumper stickers that describe the emotion I want to take us through over the next few minutes, and it says something like, uh, life happens, or scuba happens, or crap happens, right? You know the bumper sticker I'm talking about. We got all these great verses in the Bible that talk about how terrific our life could be, should be, how free we are, how there's life and power and love in the name of Jesus, and we want that so bad, and yet, oftentimes, if you're like me, you experience life happening, and it's not always good. There really is a tension in the Christian walk that doesn't get a lot of playtime at a lot of churches. There's a tension in that we know, on the one hand, that things are supposed to be good, and there's freedom, and there's joy in the life following Christ, and yet, on the other hand, life happens, and things don't always go perfectly. Things don't always go the way that we would choose, and there is this great tension in following Jesus a lot of times. And here's the tension. The tension could be stated like this. How do you maintain hope in a seemingly hopeless and broken world? How do you maintain hope in a seemingly, in a seemingly hopeless and broken world? I mean, like I said, life happens. Things don't always go the way that you hope that they would go. Sometimes the job that you had a couple years ago or three years ago when the economy was going great, some of us have experienced the fact that we don't have that job anymore. And some of us, the pay raise we were counting on that we worked really hard to get, that we worked all the overtime for, that we sat in all the meetings through, we ended up not getting that pay raise. And for some of us, the person that stood across the altar from us and promised us till death do us part, they didn't die, and yet they parted from us. And we don't live together anymore, and our family now has been separated, and there's chaos. And some of your parents in the room have invested all kinds of time, energy, and money, and love, and dragging kids to church, and yet they have grown up, and you've seen some of them make choices that you know they shouldn't be making, and they're hanging around the wrong people, and they're doing the wrong things, and life sometimes just happens to us. There's a tension in following Jesus. It's supposed to be, on the one hand, fairly good and rosy, and we're supposed to be free, and there's supposed to be a lot of joy, and yet life happens to us. And sometimes the athletic scholarship that got you through high school, that paid your bill in college, sometimes that falls apart because of the injury that happened, and you're no longer able to do the thing that you thought you were going to be doing for the rest of your life. And the parent that you thought was going to be there forever, and they should have 20 or 30 or 40 years left, well now, they're sick with that disease, maybe it's cancer or something else, and you've been following Jesus, and you thought things were going to be a little better for you, and yet life happens, and everything's not as rosy as sometimes what it seems like the Bible indicates that it could be. And so you might be asking the question, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my faith? What's wrong with God, maybe? What's going on? Why is there this tension? Why do I read some parts of the Bible, and it seems like things are supposed to be so good, like we talked about last week, and yet scuba happens, crap happens, sometimes the wheels fall off the car. And you and I, we live in that tension. 
It's our everyday Monday through Saturday tension that we feel that we don't get to celebrate on Sunday when we're singing the loud songs and standing in the middle of all the smoke. We don't celebrate that fact because it's really not worth celebrating, and yet we know Monday morning's going to happen, the alarm's going off, and we're walking right back into that world. And it can make us ask questions like this. Why should I even try? Why should I even love that person? Why should I even study? Why should I get up early and go to work? Why should I work the extra hours? Why should I invest in that relationship anymore? Why should I even really hope? You see, there's a tension in following Jesus. The tension is, how can I maintain my hope in a world that that seemingly is falling completely apart? I like to think of it this way, that hope is a lot like a ladder, a lot like the ladder I got standing behind me. And whether we realize it or not, all of us, without knowing most of the time, put our hope in something. And hope is a lot like this back part of the ladder here. I don't know what this is called. I googled it last night for like 15 minutes. Still don't know what it's called. But this back leg here, the one that is like the brace, the support that holds up the A-frame ladder, hopes a lot like this brace. And all of us, depending on what point in time you're at in your life, we all put our hope in something. We all put our life leaned up against something that's supposed to hold us, sustain us, keep us from falling over. When you're born, most of us put our hope We lean the ladder of our life up against our parents. Most of the time, uh, little boys put their hope in their mom, and they form good relationships with their mother. And for a lot of little girls, they put their hope and tie their relationship strongly to their dad. And sometimes as you get older, you put your hope in other things. For me, I put a lot of my hope early on in some academic stuff. Found out a little bit later on that was a bad place to put my hope, and yet I was, at least early on in life, tracking a little bit ahead of my class, and things were going well, and so I was kind of leaning the ladder of my life up against the fact that probably I was going to be smarter than most people, and I could kind of steer my life along that road and come out better in the end. Like I said, some of us put the ladder of our life, we lean it up against the hope that our bodies are more fit, and we're probably a little more athletic, and maybe we can get the scholarship. Hopefully one day we might even end up making some money using our skills and our talents and our athletic ability. And so we lean the ladder of our life up against that hope. Some of us lean the ladder of our life up against the relationship we're in. A lot of teenagers do this. They'll forsake all that they've known with their parents and their life and drop all of their emotion, all of their time, all, of, all that they can invest in a relationship with another boy or another girl because they're putting all of their hope on a practical level on that other relationship that they have. And here's the challenge with life. All of that's perfectly okay in one sense, and we all do it, and we don't ever even really think about it until the ladder begins to lean. When we start to experience that free fall that you would experience if you were on a ladder that started to collapse, when we start to experience that free fall because the brace in life starts to give way, that's when we begin to ask questions about where are we putting our hope? And it's the thing that we've been putting our hope in. Is it worth it? Is it strong enough? We start realizing things like we're not going to have kids, and yet we always thought we would. I'm getting older, and I'm probably not going to get married, and I've been hoping all of my life that I would. The raise really isn't going to be coming. My kids probably aren't going to be following Jesus, at least not in the first few phases of their life because they're so far off the deep end. 
My mom's probably not going to get healed of cancer. My dad really is a drug addict, and he's not there for me the way he was supposed to be. And it's at that point in time when we come to realization that the thing we had put our hope in begins to fail us, that we begin to ask, is there something better that we could put our hope in? Perhaps we've leaned our ladder of life up on the wrong thing. Perhaps we've got the wrong brace and support structure in life. And it's only at that point in time, at those points in time in our life, that we begin to get serious about the important question for all of us, whether we're following Jesus or not, really, where is our hope? And how do we maintain hope when it seems like the world around us is decaying and falling falling apart? The Bible is full of good stories, like I said earlier, and verses. And the Bible is crystal clear on where it is that we need to put our hope. All through the Bible, Old Testament and New, there are all kinds of stories about how we're supposed to put our hope in Jesus, our hope in the love of Jesus, our hope in God. And you can follow that, like I said, Old Testament and New Testament. We did some of that last week. The Bible also talks about some things that we're not supposed to put our hope in. We're not supposed to put our hope in money or riches, right? We all know that. We're not supposed to put our hope, one way the Bible says it, is in horses and chariots, or as we would say today, in our military ability. We're not supposed to put all of our hope in medicine, although there is some good things going on there. We're not supposed to put our hope in our physical appearance. We're not supposed to put our hope in our own ability uh, of our mind to get us somewhere. We're not supposed to put all of our hope there, and yet in life we do that, don't we? When things begin to crumble and we look at where it is we're putting our hope, what it is that's sustaining us, I think we often find that what we're doing is we're allowing our hope to be placed in something that we know ultimately in the end is going to fall apart or decay. And yet in the middle of life, as we're going through our Monday through Saturday life, we don't really ever stop and think about where we've placed our hope. And so what I want to talk to you today about is obvious and yet it's not so tangible. Oftentimes it's a little easier to say than it is to do, but I want to talk to you today about the right place to put your hope. So that if you're in the kind of situation where you feel like the ladder of your life is free-falling a bit, or maybe it's starting to get a little shaky but it's not falling yet, I want you to leave here today with clarity around where the ladder of your life needs to be leaning and maybe how it is you can begin to do some of that sort of stuff. Now here's the challenge with us, especially as Americans. We've gotten really good at building our own ladder supports. I mean, honestly, we... We got a little bit more money than most people in other countries. We're pretty smart. The Japanese are probably a little smarter, but you know what I'm saying, right? We do pretty well on the standardized test. We, we invest our money pretty well. Most of us have a pretty decent plan for a secure future, even when we can't work anymore. Uh, if you're banking on Social Security, you might want to get out of that one. Don't know, right? We know how to get the right surgeries. We know the right foods to eat and not eat, although we don't always do it. We know the right exercises to do that get our body in shape. We have probably the best doctors in the world. And in America, it's easy for us not to really put our hope where we're supposed to put it because we got really most of it figured out. I mean, don't we? We can pretty much rely, if not on ourselves, on some of the support systems that we have around us. A lot of times we really don't have need for God until the ladder begins to fall. And we begin to experience that free fall. And it's at those point in times when we realize that 
no matter what it is that we put our hope in at this moment in our life, or we look back and we realize some of the other things we put our hope in at other points in our time, uh, at other points of time in our life, we begin to realize that there really aren't a lot of things that we can put our hope in because unfortunately, as you know, if you're getting older, you've experienced this to be true, everything in this world seems to give way at some point. Everything. It seems like everything at some point begins to fall apart. I, mean, I have a terrific mom and dad was raised in a great Christian home with a lot of health and love to go around, probably more than we even needed. And yet, here I am with my mom uh, pretty early in life experiencing cancer for the fourth time. And um, it's, you know, unless God moves in and there's a miracle, it doesn't look great. It's hard for me not to put all my hope and trust in medicine to heal her. It's hard for me to, heal, to hear her not put all of her faith and hope in medicine. And I want her to put it in God, yet on a practical level, every time I call her, here's what she says at the end of the conversation every single day. I love you. I don't want to die. I want to see my grandkids grow up. We had a, a story of a family in our church this, this week. I heard on Thursday. Great family. They've been coming for just about a year. In fact, last time we did baptisms, the husband and the wife both got baptized. I mean, God has been bringing joy and love into their hearts and into their lives like, like they've never experienced before. And they have been pregnant now for a few months, about 30 weeks or so. And this past Wednesday, things weren't going so well, and they go to the doctor for their normal visit and come to find out she needs to be rushed to the hospital, to the emergency room, for the baby to be taken with an emergency C-section. So the world's beginning to crumble. In fact, this is the second time they've been pregnant. The first time it was a stillborn, and all of their expectation and hope and joy and dreams were tied up in this little baby that is coming and yet here they are on their way to the emergency room with drama about to enter their life. And so they get to the hospital on Wednesday night, I believe it was, and they begin the emergency C-section uh, process. And in that procedure, unfortunately, the, the little baby girl's, one of her fingers got cut off in the middle of that process. And so here they are with all their hopes of the last decade or so of trying to bring kids into this world and start their own little family Day after day, minute after minute, hour after hour, their dreams are just being shattered. And they're realizing that the places they had put their hope, their joy, their trust, none of those can be fully relied upon because they live in a broken world and things don't always go the way that we planned it. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible talks about that reality. And it's really not the rosiest of pictures when you start out. So if you have your Bible, open it with me if you would to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at nearer the end of the chapter, go beyond a little bit of where Ben went last week. I want to show you exactly what the Bible says about this and why it's so important for us to put our hope and trust in Jesus. Our hope and trust in the love that God has for us, even though the world all around us is falling apart. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, if you're there. Words are being on the screen behind me. Here's the reality. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Another translation says, the creation was subjected to decay, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. The reality that I've experienced in my life sometimes, and you experience in your life sometimes, that many of you are experiencing right now in life, as your ladder seems like it's falling off the wall, 
is this. The world all around us is decaying. It's falling apart. There really is nothing in this world, tangible or intangible in this world, for us to put our hope in, for us to lean our ladder on that will really sustain us. That's what the Bible says right here. In fact, creation is subjected to decay, and it's not even subjected to decay by its own choice. It's subjected to decay by the one who subjected it, which is God. The story of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 is a story of a perfect world that gets messed up by humankind because of some decisions we make. And ever since that point in time, the world has been falling apart. A lot of us, when we think about sin, we think about like the sin action in our life, and that really is how we define sin. We think of an activity, we think, is that sin or is that not sin? But the Bible view of sin is really something different. In the Bible, sin is like this this disease that was injected into the world when choices were made by humans to not stay in love completely with God and to disobey Him. It's like, it's like a sin injection happened. And everything in this world, all of creation has been, since that point in time, all the way up through this morning, subjected to that decay, to that frustration. It really is all dying. I mean, good or bad, people like... For instance, Mother Teresa, who probably has done more good with her works in this world than any of us, maybe all of us put together, combined exponentially. All the good things she did, yet her body still sees decay. Billy Graham, on the final legs of his life, most likely, has probably brought more people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ than anyone in human history, and yet his body one day is going to die. It seems like no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, what we believe, how many people we lead to Christ, how good of Jesus follower we are, at some point in time, everything around us and in us and through us begins to decay. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 8 is telling us. And it's not like we can even do anything about it. It's subjected to decay because of the choices that were made and the plan that God put into place. So we can't really rely on anything that we're going to lean our ladder up against. And the ultimate truth is really we are in decay. And it's at the point in time in our life when we sense that the ladder is falling that we begin to ask the question, is there anything else? Is there something outside of my life's experience, outside of the people I know, the places I go, the money I save, the diet I'm on, the doctors that treat me? Is there anything outside of those things which will as the Bible says, eventually come to decay. Is there anything outside of those things where I can put my hope? Is life really worth hoping in? So here's what verses 23 and 24 say in Romans chapter 8. Not only so, not only is the world decaying and all of creation decaying, but we ourselves, we who had the first fruits of the Spirit, so even, even Jesus followers, even Christians, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we're saved. It's in the hope of the redemption. It's in the hope that there is something outside of creation that we can lean our ladder on, that can give us a firm foundation. It's in that hope that we're saved. And then verse 25 says, But even if we hope... Uh, even what we hope for, we do not have yet. We still wait for it patiently because our hope 
isn't in this world. It's in something outside of this world, something that's not going to decay. And then in verse 26 through 30, it says how God helps us in the middle of this. And this is where I think the rubber meets the road between the, the, the knowledge that we have that we need to put our hope in something outside of this world and the reality we face that a lot of times the things that we put our hope in give way. This is what the beauty of Romans chapter 8 is and the beauty of what God wants to do for us is, is in these verses, verses 26 through 30. It says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It helps us kind of get a grip on it. We don't know often what we ought to pray. A lot of times we don't even know what we need to ask for. We don't even, we don't even know exactly where it is we need to, to, to lean our ladder of life. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What this verse is saying simply is that even when we don't know what it is we want to lean on, and we don't even know what to ask for from God, even when it's so intangible and our life is falling apart, the Spirit comes alongside of us and he, he prays for us. He begins to ask God to work things out in our life in accordance with his will so that we can feel like our life is not in free fall anymore. You've all experienced this in your life where something bad has happened and you get in bed at night and if you're like me, you cry for like seven or eight seconds and then you just, it's just like you have this angst inside of you because you know there's really nothing you can do about it. There's nothing at all, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you save, no matter what you do tomorrow that really is going to change the situation that you're in. And yet the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes alongside of us. And even when we're laying there in the tear-soaked pillow, and we don't even know what to ask God for, the Spirit of God begins to pray for us, using words we don't even understand, and groaning as if it were groaning for us the pains that we feel inside. Then in verse 28, here's what it says. In spite of that, we hope in God. And we know that in all things... Even the bad things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. That's what we trust in. That's what we put our hope in. And in verse 31, when we feel like giving up. What then shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say in response to this feeling that our life is falling apart, that the ladder of our life is about to fall? What we say is, if God's for us, who can be against us? And then in verse 32, how do we know we can trust God? We know we can trust him because he didn't spare even his own son. But he gave up his son for all of us. How much more will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? When your world's falling apart, and when the thing your ladder's leaning on, and the medicine's not working, we can trust God because he's going to give us more good things. And you want a testimony because sometimes it works better than the words that you read in the Bible that don't really have story or personal meaning attached to them. The story of Paul who is writing this, uh, this book, Romans, and taking care of chapter 8. A guy who has been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been left to die several times. Here's what he says, his personal testimony about the God we can trust and that loves us. Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, 
nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation that I might lean my ladder on, that I might put my hope in. None of those things will be able to separate me, us, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying is, if you want to put your hope in something that will not fail you, that will not decay, that will not give way, that isn't subject to the infection of sin in this world, you have to put your hope and trust in God and the love of God that he has for you. Even though it's intangible, and even though you don't know sometimes how to do that or what to say or what to even feel about it, what you do on a real practical basis is when you go to bed at night and you've had a great day, you thank God for the great day he's given you. And you say, God, I know it worked out great all because of you. And when you go to bed and the day has sucked and you would have chosen different things or the reality of tomorrow is beginning to lay down inside of your heart and it doesn't look good, you say to God, God, I'm not going to trust on my own abilities to get myself through this situation. I'm going to trust in you because I know that all the things in my life, you're working together for my good because I love you and I'm putting my hope in you. So on a practical level, you still work hard. You still love other people. You still set the alarm clock and get up early to exercise. You still go to the doctor when you're sick. You still study. You still invest in relationships. You still love your husband and your wife. You still treat your kids with patience even when they don't even deserve it. And at the end of the day, you look to God and you put it all in his hands and say, God, at the end of the day, I trust you. Even though it looks like I may not live very much longer. Even though it looks like my family's falling apart. Even though I have no money in my bank account. Even though I was in the emergency this week and the finger of my little daughter got cut off in spite of all the joy we had at that moment. Even in spite of that, God, I still hope in you. And I know that you're going to work all things out together for my good. And you work like crazy and you pray like crazy and you serve like crazy and you do all the things you know you're supposed to do with good discipline in your life and at the end of the day, you trust God. Well, on a real practical level, we have been trying to trust God as a church. Over the course of about six and a half years, we've been in pretty constant flux around where we meet. We've never owned our own building. We started out at the Rave Theater, which was great. Ended up pretty much getting kicked out of there through a series of events with their corporate office that really weren't our fault. We ended up at Lakota West High School, which was in one sense terrific, in another sense had its own challenges. Got kicked out of there because of a summer construction project. Ended up right here in this building where we've been for two and a half years out of the grace and mercy of God and Zion Global Church who actually owns this building. And we found out last year, about a year ago, that this coming Easter, right around April 24th, would be our last day in this building. And it's been difficult for us as a staff and as a board to not try to force the hand of God and lean our ladder up on something that we planned out for ourselves. Because I'll be honest with you, Ben and myself and everyone on staff and on the board, we have a lot of great ideas about where it would be a great location to do church. And yet we've been praying hours and weeks and tears and anxiety God, show us what you would have us do. Show us, God, specifically where you would have us be. And we're going to be patient until you answer us by shutting doors or opening doors. So we've been diligent, and we've done the hard work of looking and investing and offering contracts, and the whole time soaking it all in prayer, saying, God, what would you have for us so that we can be the kind of church where people can come and their lives can be transformed by your power and your love, and they can begin relationship with you. So this week we got a lot 
a lot of answers of things that we've been praying for for three years now. And so Ben wanted to really be here and tell you all about it. He couldn't be. He has already planned a vacation with his son. They're out riding horses in New Mexico. And uh, However, he wanted to be the one to tell you a couple pieces of good news about where we're going to be in the near future and then where we're going to be soon after that. So take a look at this video, and then I'll come up and talk to you about some next bold steps. Four Corners. I really wish I could be with you today. I'm out west riding horses with my son, but I didn't want to miss an opportunity to tell you about our new temporary church home right here at the Ray Theater. Now, if you've been with us for a few years, you know this is where we started. You know it's a great place to have church. I am absolutely stoked about what God's doing. So much good news, so many exciting things, so much life change, and even more is coming our way here at the Ray. So as exciting as this is to be at the Ray Theater for a few months, I want to take you now to the place we're most excited about. It's going to be our permanent home. It's just a couple of miles from here. You're gonna absolutely love it. Well, we're moving on So we've gone from exit 19 up to exit number 24, Union Center Boulevard up to Liberty Way. And right behind me is the, our new long-term facility. This is the new home of Four Corners Church. We'll spend a few months at the rave where we just were, and we'll spend years and years here right behind me. You may have seen the Cincinnati Inquirer building. Well, the other half of that building will be Four Corners Church. That's the building behind me. And to my right is I-75, the latest statistics show that 2,000 quadrillion cars pass by every hour. What that means is God's gonna send us more and more people to reach with his power and love. And we're the perfect church to do it. We've been transformed, God's been getting us set up, and now it's the time to go. I'm very excited. Can't wait to be with you next week. So we are pumped about that. Here's the great thing about being at the rave. The rave is the kind of place where you can invite any of your friends who don't already know Jesus, and they're not going to have the normal barriers to coming that they might have coming to an older church building like this. It's going to be so easy to invite people that if you don't invite your friends to come to church at the rave, you're probably not going to heaven. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, the yeses, the percentage of yeses you're going to get when you make the invite to say, come to my church with me, by the way, we meet at the rave theater in Westchester, Ohio. It's going to go through the roof. So for those of you that have gotten rejections over the last few years or you're a little embarrassed about bringing your friends here, mostly because of the facility itself, that struggle is behind us now. And we're not so excited about where we're going to be. We're excited that we're going to be in an environment where people can come to know Jesus easier and with a lot less reservation. And we're super stoked. 
with the location God has given us up on 75 there by the Cincinnati Inquirer building. It's going to be a fantastic place to have church. It's going to be large. It's going to be great. All the barriers of inviting your friends will be moved away. And uh, we're going to be able to do a lot of good ministry there for a lot of years because God's going to show up and he's going to help us do it. Hey, why don't you grab out your Connect card? I want to talk with you on a personal level outside of what we're doing as a church about some things you might want to consider doing in terms of putting your hope in God. And maybe if you've been leaning the ladder of your life up on some unstable, decaying walls, that you might be able to change that a little bit. So here are some options for you. A lot of today I've talked to people who are already following Jesus, and I've been trying to, to help you get your hope quotient a little bit higher. But some of you might be sitting in the room and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want you to consider doing that today by marking next bold step A right there on the back of your connect card. All you're saying is that for the first time in your life, you want to put your hope in God. And if you do that, what we like to say is you'll be saved, just like Romans chapter 8 talked about. And if you'll mark that box over the course of this week, we'll send you some information that will tell you some next things you can begin doing. We'll pray for you and we'll begin to partner with God and you as you begin to live out the life and the dreams that God has for you. So some of you might want to consider marking that box. The next one is for some other people in the room. If maybe you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, but you know as I was talking that you've got the ladder of your life leaned up on the wrong support system. And you know that either it is in decay or it's heavily decayed or at some point it's going to decay. I want you to mark next step B if God's leading you this way. That you've accepted God's love, but you know the ladder of your life's leaning on the wrong wall. And today you want to begin loosening your grip and changing the location of that ladder. Some of you just need to simply mark that box and start working on that. Or maybe you need to mark next step C. This one really is for anyone who wants to, whether you've marked A or B or not. But specifically for people who are already following Jesus and you feel like the ladder of your life is pretty much leaning on the hope of Christ and you feel like things are going pretty well. I want to challenge you just not to hoard that and to specifically invite two people to be at church right here in this building with us on Easter Sunday. The reality is if your life's going pretty well and you've kind of got it figured out and your theology is good and practically you're living it out, if you're hoarding that, it's a sin. And so I want to challenge you to invite other people to come to this church on Easter where they're going to hear the story of Jesus with great clarity and experience some terrific music and some fun events. And uh, they're going to get challenged to put their faith and trust in Jesus. So mark that box if that's something you need to do. And then the final one is next step D. As several of you have put your faith in Jesus. You are following him and you've never been baptized. I know for a lot of you who are adults, the simple reason you haven't been baptized is you are just embarrassed because you think Everyone else in the room thinks you should have already been baptized. The reality is none of us think that. We're not that shallow. We're a pretty eager group of people who just want to celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. So even if you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you haven't been baptized since you made an adult decision to follow Jesus, mark your card. Get baptized on May 1st. It's going to be a party in here. We're going to celebrate with you all that God's doing in your life. Hey, why don't you bow with me? We'll pray. We'll sing one more song. And then we'll tell you about what's going on over the next couple weeks. Pray with me if you would. God, we are grateful for you and for your love that you give to us. God, as we gear up with our hearts and our minds for Easter, God, we are more and more aware as we get older in life of our need for you. 
so God, as we look at our lives and investigate about where it is that we're really leaning our ladder of life, where it is we're really putting our hope, I ask that you challenge us. God, for those of us that are leaning the ladder of our life on our own ability to make wealth, I ask that you challenge us. God, for those of us that are putting our hope in our own mind and our ability to be smarter or wiser or think beyond most people, I ask you to challenge us. God, for those teenagers in the room who are putting their hope in this boyfriend or girlfriend and all their life is wrapped up in that relationship, I ask you to challenge us. God, whatever it is that we're leaning the ladder of our life up against, if it's not you, Lord, give us courage to make the move. God, for everyone that today is putting their faith and hope and trust in you for the first time, who are making a decision to follow you with their life, I ask you to be with us, give us boldness and courage as we live out that new journey through the next days and weeks ahead. And God, finally, for the people who need to invite their friends and neighbors and co-workers, remove the fear from their life that keeps them from doing that. Impress on them the great burden, Lord, of how short life really is and the great hope that their friends and neighbors and co-workers can have in you. And so, God, help us make the ask, inviting people to Easter. Give us boldness to be baptized if we need that, Lord. And whatever it is, we ask you to be with us this week and lead us. And as I like to say, Lord, if you will lead, we will follow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.